Welcome to Business Masters, the podcast that gives you direct access to world-leading experts on key business issues. To be the first to know about future shows and to access even more exclusive content, visit businessblueprint.com and subscribe today. G'day, it's Dale Beaumont here, founder of Business Blueprint, and welcome to another Business Masters podcast. Today, I'm talking with Brooke Alexander, who's a professional speaker and the author of the book, Super Talent. And our topic is how to attract and keep great talent. Brooke, thanks very much for agreeing to chat. Oh, thank you for having me, Dale. All right. So tell us about your book, Super Talent. What's it all about? Well, Super Talent is really all about how employers of choice can attract, motivate and retain the best and brightest. You see, I wrote Super Talent because I believe that businesses and companies that, you know, talk about having engagement issues haven't really identified the real wants and needs of their people. You know, you you add the changes in 21st century popular culture and Gen Y and, you know, the explosion of social trends. And I think organisations and business really have to realise that, you know, expectations and in particular employee expectations have changed. And in turn, they need to change how they attract, manage and retain their most talented people. Mm. So why why is it important, apart from the obvious, we know that great people build great businesses, but why sure. else do we want to attract great talent into our company? Well, if I think of a business really wants to succeed and become the best in their market, you know, the most profitable or the most innovative. And if they really want to attract great staff and if they want to become a best place to work employer brand, then they need to learn how to attract the best people, you know, and super talent really are the best. And when I use the term super talent, I'm specifically talking about the top 10% of people working in any business in really any market sector. These individuals may already be or could become future leaders and future innovators. You know, these guys have got a really bright future ahead. And most importantly, when they're switched on, they become the great motivators that will engage and inspire, you know, your entire workforce. It's just like that old saying, like attracts like. If you've got the best working for you, it's easier to attract more of them. Mm, Great. Um, Now, do you think that the marketplace has kind of, you know, been the same for the last 10, 20 years or or have we, have you noticed a specific shift that's happened, you know, in the last say, say five years or so? Is, Is it, is it different? Absolutely. I really think there's been a massive change in how we all socially interact with one another. Um, and this has definitely been brought about by social media. You know, I think we, we live in an instant culture where we can communicate with anyone from anywhere at any time in the world. And this has really made society as a whole a lot more demanding. You know, we have such extraordinary access to information. We can be connected 24-7. You know, not that that's really healthy, of course, but we can find out anything in an instant. Google, Facebook, and Twitter really have changed our lives. Mm. And do you think Gen Y is kind of, you know, you've mentioned Gen Y and also social media. Do you think they're the yeah. kind of the, 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 the parties that are most responsible for this change or has it been a kind of a cultural shift or is it more just re- regarding Gen Y? Look, I think Gen Y definitely got the ball rolling, but there's a bigger shift happening culturally. You know, as the workforce increases with age and right now, you know, we've got five generations of people all working in the workforce all at the same time. So it's really not about the needs of the group anymore. I think it's about meeting the needs of the individual. So when you think about it, you know, Gen Y really did start with the mantra, you know, I want it all and I want it now. Give it to me now. 
But I think instant gratification seems to be something that's popping up on everybody's wish list. You know, in the past, it was all about job security. So, you know, it was a major factor in retaining staff. But the attitude has really changed. You know, people now want to work for companies that deliver, you know, shared value and shared value of purpose. You know, they want to know they're working towards something bigger and bigger than themselves. You know, the new thinking is, and this isn't just for Gen Y, but this is generally for, you know, really talented people. It's about the mantra that, you know, they'll work for you, but in return, you've got to make them more employable you know, if they do choose to leave and work for somebody else, you know, the fact that you've had that relationship with them, you'll become their natural home to return to. So, you know, it's an unfortunate fact of business and Genwise did really start this because they aren't afraid of self-promotion. You know, thanks to social media, they really are used to advertising the 12s 24-7. They're constantly used to updating their status updates. So, why should their job title or their role be any different? Mm. Now, in your book, you talk about the currencies of super talent. Can you just describe to people that haven't read it yet, what are these currencies all about? Sure, I'd love to. So, I talk about the fact that there are actually five currencies that really switch on super talented people. So, the first two, of which everyone will be familiar with, are payment and promotion. So, fair pay or fair remuneration, that's a big word, that one, and career progression, you know, are major drivers for the best and brightest and they should never be underplayed. However, I believe that there are three further currencies that are actually at a higher level and these three I call legacy, learning and love. So, when you think about attracting, motivating and retaining super talent, it really does require more than just a good paycheck and a position with a title. These are important, of course, but legacy learning and love are more important. And let me explain that to you. Let's take a look at legacy. You know, super talented people really need to feel like their actions have purpose, that their work is important and that the outcome of their actions has a highly highly positive impact for all. You know, when employers meet these needs, their super talented people get to create a legacy. They get to become professionally famous at work. These people, even if, even if they don't really declare that they want that, they really need to be respected. They need to be rewarded and they almost need to be revered or revered for the work they create. You know, so many employers overlook this critical driver in their staff, but when they deliver this currency to, to their people and to their best people, magic can happen. So, the fourth currency that I talk about is learning. Most importantly, this is really about self-directed learning. You know, the best and brightest are highly autonomous. They desperately want to be in control of their own learning and development. Some people think of this think of this as being selfish, but you know, the bottom line is they want to be in control of their own purpose, direction and meaning. So giving them the opportunity to manage their own learning agenda and growth, you know, they'll start to love you for that. So, now speaking of love, that's actually the fifth currency. So, I'm not talking about, you know, love in a touchy-feely sense. I'm talking about value. You know, the best and brightest, they really exist in cultures that recognize them individually for their unique skills and talents. You know, they want to be supported and encouraged to be their best. And so often, you know, the super talented people, you know, they're working independently of the majority of the group or the workforce. Often, they're working on special projects. And so, they miss out on the everyday acknowledgement and appreciation for a job well done. So, you've got to acknowledge and truly value them for the work that they create. This is really all about individual respect 
And really, doesn't everyone deserve to be respected? The best and brightest have the highest of these needs. And now let's talk about, you know, mentioned money, the, the first two, uh, payment and, yep. and, and promotion. In your research, how important um, is it? I'm guessing, you know, fair pay is important, but do you have to pay more? Do you have to pay, you know, 10%, 20%, 30% more than everyone else in order to attract them? Well, I think you're absolutely right. Money is important and it's how we traditionally reward value. But I think that if you can start to bring in those currencies that we've explained earlier, they become less important. Mm. So I think it's I think it's really depending on your business, you know, and the type of role that you're looking to fulfill will determine, you know, what level of, of pay you should be paying people. You know, 10%, 20% more. I know in the services industry, it's becoming, uh, sorry, in the financial services industry, it's becoming harder and harder because, you know, post-GFC, you know, the budgets just aren't there to reward people um, at, a, at a higher level that they used to. So, I think it's really all depends on your business and the type of role you're looking to fulfill. I think, you know, every organisation will have their own set of rules, but in my research, it's definitely not always the deciding factor for all businesses. Okay, well, let's get into some specifics now. How do we make ourselves more more attractive? We, we you know, we want to recruit, um, you know, a bunch of new people. Nobody kind of knows that we exist yet. How can we start to, to become the choice of, that, um, of where they want to work? Sure, sure. Well, when I start working with clients, I always ask them how their business is actually contributing to society. Now, look, it may sound like a warm and fuzzy and a very high value proposition, but I think these days you have to be aware of the fact that you need to be running a purpose-driven business that really does make the world a better place in some way. Effectively, you have to look at how your business or your brand is creating a legacy in the market. When you create a business that has an intention to make a difference in some way, you can connect that to the day-to-day running of the business, then you become magnetic to great people. You know, you become a place that great people want to work in. As we said earlier, you know, great people are attracted to great businesses. So, I think you've got to kind of, you know, lay your cards on the table and position your brand in that light to the market to become an employer brand of choice. You know, my clients explore how they can create that level of shared value. So, it's really not just about, you know, shareholders, but it's also for their employees as well. How can you create shared experiences that deliver not only a highly profitable bottom line for the shareholders and the business owners, but how can you create measurable, meaningful results that actually matter? When you can market your business in that light, then I think you've got a great business that will attract great staff. Mm. And does this should this come through in your sort of you, you know your job ad? <laughs> can you can you really start, say that you know we're that altruistic? Um, where, I think, where do you start to introduce it? Yeah, I think definitely. You know, everybody Google's everything these days, so you know the about page of a company should definitely highlight you know the reason their reason for being. You know, it's it's kind of moving beyond vision and mission and values of an organization. But it's how we're actually giving back. And the people that I'm talking to and the business owners and CEOs and boards are really recognising the value that it places, not only from a market share point of view, but just actually to contributing to that level of society, that they're employing great people, they're making a difference. Um, I read a great article the other day about a company in America that are actually, like they create the nuts in wheelchairs and 
they were having a, an engagement morale issue with their staff on their actual production line. And so they took their staff away for a couple of hours and actually explained to them, you know, how their role was vital in creating these widgets, for want of a better word, that actually contribute to helping people who are highly disadvantaged you know, live a, a better life. And, you know, yes, it, the altruism um, is a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but I think at the end of the day, we're all trying to connect with people. And if we can see how our value is exchanged on a daily basis where we work, and if we're looking to be attracted to a, a great business, then that becomes part and parcel of whether it be an advertising campaign or your Facebook page or your website. You have to have that same story that threads through. Mm. Then once a person then applies for a position, what are some yeah. tips that you have during the recruitment process to ensure that you don't lose good people? That's a great question. And I think I've got some good answers for you. I think first up, you really have to look at well, what are the personal values of the individual that you're actually, you know, recruiting or looking to recruit? You know, what do they actually want to achieve whilst working in your business? You know, this will be dependent of their, or clearly of their age and their background and what they've enjoyed in the past. And, you know, what would they like to work on in the future? I think employers, and especially in the recruitment process, they really need to look beyond resumes and they need to look into the hearts and minds of their staff. You know, it kind of reminds me of that quote, which says, you know, the longest journey a man must take is the 18 inches from his head to his heart. And that should really form, you know, the framework of the recruitment process. What are the person's natural skills and talents? And how will their expertise and skills unite into the core and the, the heart of the business? You know, that's a conversation that has to happen from the ground up, and I believe, in the recruitment process. Mm. Do you have any other tips during the recruitment process to make that successful? I think it's really about understanding, you know, what are the key drivers of the organisation um, and how those drivers actually interact with past uh, history or experience of the individual. I think meeting needs, obviously looking at different industries. I think some people need to actually step outside their particular industry to look for talent. So, for example, if you've been working in manufacturing, sometimes it might be great to look at someone from a retail background. You know, being able to mix up and not always attract the same people, I think is really important looking at a, at a variety of mixes and age groups. And also, we talked about earlier about the five generations in the workforce. I think there's a lot of um, um, polarisation that goes on in the recruitment in the recruitment process, thinking that people need to be of a certain age or a certain experience level. And I think you really need to open up your mind into what offer you're creating and the value you want to create you know, at the end game so that you attract the best person in the first place and then you can decide in the recruitment pro process if they're the best fit. Mm. And what about introducing incentives, rewards, bonuses, those type of things during the recruitment process? Because I think part of us feels that if we want to attract great talent, we're going to dangle a carrot in front of them and say, you know, if you, you join our company, you're going to get this and you're going to get that. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Should we wait until people have proven themselves or should we be offering these things up front? I think you've got to have a fairly high level of transparency. So I think you've got to address what the rules of the game are. But most employers, you know, don't really remember that or think about the fact about recognition. So a reward process or incentive or bonus, you know, that recognition has implied appreciation, but appreciation doesn't necessarily imply recognition. So what I mean by that is 
recognition should be publicly addressed. So, I, th- you know, it's really a topic that we could toss around for hours, but I think the reward framework should be made up front. I don't think it needs to be a complex issue, but I think it needs to be based on effort and reward. And it's all relative to industry. And as I said earlier, you know, a lot of people in financial services, they see their bonus post-GFC as still having a job. So, I think industry specifics have changed, but I think you need to be transparent if you are a culture that does actually run rewards and incentives and bonuses or not and how you expect them to react to that. And what about uh, retention? I know that's the kind of the other half of your of your book because it's not just about getting them, it's about keeping super yep. talent. Yep. Um, can you give us you know, two or three tips around how do we can retain great staff? Yeah, I think you need to um, consider a few factors. So the first thing is, is where is the person in their career and in their life cycle? And what industry, you know, are they working in? So specifically, you know, someone in their 20s will be very different to someone potentially working in their 30s, um, whether they're female or male, whether they're married or single, what their, you know, personal life plans are. I don't want to open up the can of worms around women in business and, and women and children and pregnancy and all of that jazz. But I think you really need to understand what a person's actual life cycle is and what their role would be in the company. So I think there's some really historical factors that you need to consider that are relevant to your company or your industry. So for example, I I worked in advertising. So when I when I first started out and the easiest way to kind of get promoted in advertising was to actually leave and work for another organization or another agency. Mm. You know, and and it's a sad but true fact and a lot of people that I talk to who still work in advertising still feel the same way. So I I think perhaps, you know, if organisations can really understand that, yes, it's about payment and promotion, but it's also about addressing the needs of the individual, that will determine whether they stay for the short or long term. You know, in the States, and I know I'm using America, but they really do have some great practices that we could start adopting. They've got a thing called ROI, which is results oriented Work Environment, which um, the metaphor is kind of like, it's kind of like TiVo for work, you know what I mean? You can show up when you want to and need to, but it's basically all about getting the results done. And I think there are a lot of workplaces that who struggle with retention and retention strategies need to kind of shift their thinking around how they actually generate results and recognition and rewards all in the same mix. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, it does. And, you know, is it realistic to think that super talent would stay at a company long term or are they always kind of looking for the next shiny thing? I think, you know, let's be honest, they are. Um, There is a lot of let me move forward, let me grow and learn, let me achieve more. But I think the key is is that, you know, you have to kind of let them, Some sometimes you do have to let them go. It's healthy not only for your organisation but for them as well. But what will happen is if there's that open level of communication, I think I said this earlier, you know, they become, you will become their natural home to return to. So it kind of like you get that feeling of it's a club. I started here, but I feel I can come back at any time. I mentioned earlier my role in advertising about needing to leave to be promoted. But at the time, the conversation that I had with my managing director when I was leaving was that I was always welcome to come back. And it's something that I've considered over the years. And I think having that level of understanding of your employees and your best employees that you can invite them back at any time is a great way to compensate the fear factor that you might be training these people up 
and they might leave. Mm. Just because of our limited time, can you just mm-hmm. talk to us about what are some of the other things that you cover in your book, Super Talent? So I talk about basically um, the management kind of checklist of how you should manage great people. So I talk about um, acknowledgement, how you can actually, and different acknowledgement strategies, not only for super talented, but also for people across your entire organisation, how you connect with your staff, how you can develop guidelines of enrichment. Um, So, you know, really the whole concept of employees that are enriched um, by their work environment, you know, they, they love coming to work. So, whilst these strategies really are aimed at the best and brightest, in business, they're also, you know, highly log- can be highly, you know, logically applied to everybody else. So there's concepts around learning, how you can instruct self-directed learning, how you can develop leadership more, um, and how you can manage and define performance. And again, you know, the whole purpose of why someone is working for you at a higher level. Mm. So they're just some of the um, some of the tips. But a really top tip, I think, is taking a good hard look at your management framework, and you know, start to adopt the principles of legacy learning and love and cross your business. Even if you're a small business or a medium to to large size business, you know, giving people an understanding of what your shared value of purpose is. You know, you can't be all things to all people, but I like to say that, you know, 80% is still an A. Teaching great people to manage up and not down really increases motivation and morale and smart people are really inspired by that. You know, I know that's kind of flipping leadership thinking on its head a little bit in terms of, you know, managing staff down. But if you teach if you can teach people to manage up, then, you know, you're building a culture where innovation thrives. But beyond that, you know, communication across your entire business is enhanced. So you're kind of naturally creating an environment where great people want to work. Mm, fantastic. Well, it's been wonderful to chat to you, giving us uh, lots of really good insights and, and things that we can put into action. So, Brooke Alexander, thanks so much. My pleasure. For more information about Brooke, please visit brookealexander.com.au. Thanks for listening to another Business Masters podcast. To access more great content or to download your free business plan template, visit businessblueprint.com.